You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello, dear listeners, and welcome to another episode of Dr. Matt and Dr. Mike's Medical Podcast. Today, we'll be covering the topic, blood. Now, Mike, you might be asking yourself, why isn't Mike doing the introduction like he normally does? Well, Mike's incapacitated today, and so we've got a special guest. We've got a hematologist from Eastern Europe, in particular, or specifically, uh, Romania, and this is a... Well, specifically Transylvania. So, uh, we've got Dr. Drac, his name, or Dra- Drake? It, Drac? No, it's Dr. Acula. Acula, Dr. Acula. Yes. So, um, you do look a lot like Mike. Yes, uh, just taking his body, making you feel a little bit comfortable. Like you said, Mike is a little bit incapacitated at the moment, but I've taken his body... And uh, I don't mind it. It's uh, it's 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 quite taut and muscular and attractive. Uh, yes, seems like you've taken his ego as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Mike, no, sorry, Dracula, um, Doctor Acula, Doctor Acula. Yes. Today we're going to cover the blood an overview of the blood introduction to the blood. Um, so we've got a lot to cover. Now, you're an expert, you're a hematologist, so you're a specialist in One blood. of the first hematologists, actually. Is that right? Yes, 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 yes. yes. Um, so, how long have you been studying blood for? 750 years. Oh, that's exact. Yeah. Um, 
It's been, uh, uh, look, I'm the first hematologist, I'm the first person to actually examine blood, not just examine it for its components, but, but know exactly what's inside of it, what makes it such a life force, such a, a delicious topic to study. <laughs> well, with that point, can you explain to the listeners quickly what is blood? Well, blood... Like Before I said, you describe what it, how it tastes. Well, it is the life force. Yeah. It, it carries everything. It carries, it carries the, uh, the feelings, the emotions, the thoughts. It carries the temperature of the individual. Right. About which, 38 is, which is degrees. about 38 degrees. Yeah, it carries the uh, pH of an individual that's around about 7.35, 7.45. Anything above or below this, I don't like. It has makes up around about five to six litres of a male and four to five litres of a female. Adult. That's right. De- right. So depending on if you want to have a... 600 mils for a newborn. Yes. So but if you want to have... I a, assume you haven't taken the blood from a newborn. Look, if you want to have a big night out, <laughs> if you want to have a big night out, you find a male. Right. That's what I say. Okay. Um, it's a connective tissue. Is Did it? Did you know that? Yes. That sounds a bit odd because you usually think connective tissue like, you know, bones and ligaments. Yes. Don't taste as good, but <laughs> blood is connective tissue, which means... So what's it, the definition of connective tissue then? Well, it supports. Okay. It binds. So I, I can't see blood binding. No, but it supports. It supports. I'll give you that. Yeah. So and it's so made up of cells, gels, and fibers. So blood is made up of cells, gels, and fibers. That's well, right. Definitely cells. So it's got a cellular component. Yep. Uh, gels, um, fibers I'll give you give you for sure because yeah. like fibrinogen, which is important for clotting. Um, gels, well, or ground substance. That's right. So that's plasma. Correct. So if you were to separate blood into its two components, you could say it's got a cellular component and a plasma component, which is just a fluid component. We often call the cellular components formed elements. Okay. At least us hematologists. Right. We'll get to the separation uh, in a minute. Yes, yes. Um, is there any other qualities of blood do you want to talk about? Well, we have known about the importance of blood as a life force for not just hundreds but thousands of years. The Greeks and the Romans knew that. I think pretty much they would have known as early as humans have been able to think that blood's pretty important, right? Yes, well, it, once it leaves the body, yeah. uh, so does your soul. Yeah. <laughs> so well, I'm, I'm pretty sure they, they realised as soon as a certain amount leaked out, yeah. the person didn't hang around very long. Yes, or was siphoned out, potentially. Um, you'll find that... In your case, that is. Yes, well... Through, you know, usually medical doctors do it with a syringe, but you s- still seem to do it with incisors. Oh, I can do it with or no hands. Or <laughs> <laughs> yeah. your canines. My canines. Um, if you have a look, you'll see that they look similar to syringes. <laughs> right at the very end, hollow... And uh, oh, they hollow. Yes, they work through capillary action. You should possibly see a dentist. There might be a root a root canal issue there. Ah, oh, please, please, please! I've seen enough dentists. They taste horrible. I think if we're going to start looking at blood, we should break down its components. What do you think? Well, let's just mention the main roles of it. Oh yeah, and then we'll get into the components. Oh yeah. Okay, so one tasty, two delicious, three makes me feel good, makes me feel young again. Are they the functions you were going to go through? Not really. Oh, okay. Really. What are your functions? Um, well, in terms of what it does for us, a number of things. Uh, I've got a, I've got a list here. Okay. But I don't actually think they're that 
informative, to be honest. Well, I'll be the judge of that. I'm the hematologist. So, so a lot of it's around transport. So it is a fluid. We know it's a fluid. And it's one of its main roles is to transport things around the body uh, throughout or among cells. So we're a multi-organ, a multi-cellular organism. And we, we are a multi-organ organism too. That's true. <laughs> we need to ensure all the important um, constituents that a cell needs to survive um, has that delivered to it. Has what? Uh, all the, well, what what does it need? Oxygen. Oh, oxygen. So you need the components to be able to make energy. Nutrients. So we'd say, by and large, oxygen and um, glucose, if we're going to be very simple. Um, but then certain metabolic... It's easy for you, isn't it? Metabolic waste products, like CO2, have to be taken away. Otherwise, um, pH will change and then the cell die. And urea. And that... That needs to be taken away. Horrible tasting. Horrible. Well, that's from proteins. Yes. But then you have... So you never drink the blood of a bodybuilder. So much urea and it's a little bit acidic. What about lactic acid? Oh, yeah. You never take it straight after exercise. So does it taste... um, Acidic. What's a, what, yeah, what is that, bitter? Like vinegar. Oh, like vinegar. Yeah, gross. Like apple cider vinegar. You know, you have all these people on TV saying the health benefits of apple cider vinegar. Suck the blood of somebody who's just done 100-meter sprints and you'll realize that it's the worst thing you should ever ever take. Right. Let's get back to the functions. Sure, sure. sure. Um, so transport's definitely one. Yes. So let me just do a side track digression. Digression. Um, You've done a lot of um, lab work with um, in vitro cells, right? Yeah, I've, I've taken a lot of cell work. I've taken a lot of blood. Right, so if you've got uh, a Petri dish of cells and you had them on that dish, they won't survive very long without the right constituents in that media, that fluid that you put on them, right? Sure, sure. So they need, they need oxygen. They need a right temperature. They also need all the nutrients, right? So you... As a scientist that has to keep those cells alive, you have to constantly refresh that fluid, right? So when we evolved from a unicellular organism, which was just a one cell, that can get all the nutrients, all these things from the environment through diffusion, once we became multicellular and very large, we needed a better system to deliver this, would you say? So you're saying that because there's so many cells, they can't just suck the nutrients up because... One cell may be sitting more deeply within the yeah. collection of cells, and they're surrounded by other cells. They can't get to that nutrient source. Yeah, and so particularly they need a, and d- a direct delivery route to it. Yeah, and particularly for animals like um, those that live on land. I mean, some animals in the sea can still get from the seawater. They can just kind of soak it in. But for us on land, we need a more elaborate circulation system, which is where blood comes in. So you need to deliver this fluid to all 70, this might be wrong, 30 trillion trillion cells. Yeah? Yeah. Oxygen being very important, glucose very very important, but also taking the waste products away. But blood doesn't really stay the same, right? So if you go to different parts of the body, the composition of what's in the blood is going to be different. Yes. So, So for instance, in your lungs, the blood in your lungs, you know, the capillaries in the lungs, is going to be super high in oxygen compared to, say, down in the muscles because it's used up all the oxygen yeah, and yeah. CO2, vice versa. Yep. You take it to your GIT, it's going to be filled with nutrients that you've just eaten mm. to mm. be pushed into the blood. 
and then it's going to be taken to the body. You go to the kidney and it might be, um, it's just spat out of the nephron. The composition of the blood there is going to have, you know, different levels of water because it's just kind of petered out and waste products. So it's, I guess what I'm saying is depending on where what you are, are in you the body, saying? things are going to be slightly different. That's right. And that's why it's really important for me to take blood from the carotid. I always take blood from the carotid. One of the... Um, Jugular. Yeah. That'd be better. Venous blood, really. No, we need the high flow. So why is venous blood a different colour? Because of the is it Is that true? Yes, it is. It is. So it's, uh, it's about different hues of red. And so when you've got that oxygenated blood... It's that lighter, brighter, more colourful red. It, it allows for your eyes and your fangs to be attracted to it. And so the carotid, the great thing about the carotid is it's easy to find when that neck's held back to the side, you can see it pulsating. Right. Basically saying, come here, have a, have a drink. <laughs> you sound like a mosquito. Now, there's, there's a reason for why the, 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 um, the colours changed. The um, haemoglobin, which is a component in the red blood cell, is got has it got iron in it, and we know that when iron is exposed to oxygen, like in the environment, it rusts, so it goes a different color of red. Don't say that blood's rusting because you, you well, you should put me know off. It. Stop trying to put me off blood. Yeah. Doesn't it have a metallic taste? It does have a metallic taste. Actually, well, that's the iron. Okay, okay. So that's the iron. Yeah. So I am often low in iron. Every time I go get, strangely enough, get a blood test. So sometimes I have to give blood, not just take it, and uh, <laughs> low in iron, which is probably one of the reasons why I love blood, right? Well, I actually was going to say this to you. I think you actually are, you have anemia. What do you mean? Well, you're very pale. Okay. Well, that's, look, that's, it's hard to get sun when you disintegrate in it. That's, <laughs> well, I'll get to that point. So, pallor is a sign of anemia. All right. Okay. Um, photophobia. Yeah. Arguably also. Don't like the um, light. Fair. Your gums have retracted somewhat, hence why your canines stick out. All right, I don't floss. Nice going with pointing that out. <laughs> and you lack energy. Look. Out of vigor. Well, to, you've got me <laughs> and up. So, and, you're cra- and you're craving like... How dare you say I lack vigor. <laughs> and you crave uh, like meat products or in this case blood. So yeah. I think you just got anemia. What about my teeth? I told you about that. That's just a retraction of your gums. Oh. I'm 750 years old. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> anyway, we'll, we'll get to anemias in a second. Um, back to the function. So, transport's very important. I'll make get, you a name. So, that's gases, nutrients, getting rid of the waste products, which we also kind of spoke about. The immune function. So, a big part of the, the cells in your blood are white blood cells, which keep you from being infected by the outside world. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, coagulation. So, that's to stop in bleeding. And again, we'll get to that process, which we call hemostasis. Uh, and then transporting again, like this time it's hormone. So if you take blood through a, a endocrine gland, then the composition of hormones is going to be higher in that lo- location as well than it would yes. be yes. elsewhere. So yes. if you, the blood that's leaving the pancreas arguably will be higher in insulin. Yeah. So this is another example of where things change in the blood depending on where you are. And that's why for me, you know, if, if, I'm, if I'm thirsty, um, you, know, so, you know how sometimes after a meal you, you crave something sweet? So I sometimes go look out for a diabetic because... How do you know that? Well, you can smell it. (laughs) (laughs) You can can smell a diabetic a mile away as a vampire. As a vampire. Yeah, I'm glad you clarified that. Um, And you can just taste that glucose in the blood. 
Well, it's actually glucose in there um, on the hemoglobin. What do you mean? Well, how long how does how long does a red blood cell last for? About 120 days. Yeah. So about three months. Yeah. Right. So if you take a blood, you take blood of not the way you do it. Okay. But if you take a blood test, you can look at a um, it's called glyco glycosylation, I think. It's, oh it's yes. Term, yeah. Of the hemoglobin, so it's almost like the sugar crystals. It's not really, but just go with analogy. Sugar crystals on the hemoglobin, which is called a Hb1ac test. And the scientists can calculate the percentage of how much your hemoglobin has sugar crystals on it. And that's a good indication of how high the blood sugar has been over a three-month period because that's how long the red blood cells last for. Ah, so that's what I'm tasting. I'm just yeah, tasting. Like, and because a red blood cell is like, it's like a little glazed, donuts. It's like a glazed donut. That's right. So you're really just craving whatever Krispy donut. Krispy Kreme. Yeah, that's right. So every time I have a diabetic's blood, it's, it's, I might as well just go get a Krispy Kreme. Correct. So if you're above 7% of that test, that's an indication that you haven't maintained your blood sugar levels for a three-month period. Gotcha. So that's why a diabetic can't really cheat um, a blood, a sugar blood test, technically. Like you could, do they try if you did to? a random one, yeah, it, they might. So if you went to the doctor and they just randomly took a blood test and it was below, let's say, 6 millimoles a litre, the doctor might be happy and say, well done, your blood sugar's good, but they might have just compiled with it at that period yeah but if they do this test oh gotcha they've got gotcha. three months of data to say actually no yeah okay okay that's interesting so this is probably the reason why you like the diabetics blood because it's just like mini yeah um, mini cinnamon donuts. donuts i like that okay so for functions we've got transport and we've got so and transport's going to be and a lot of stuff oxygen nutrients hormones and you've got waste products waste products and you've also got um immune function with the white blood cells anything else um, there's an interesting one which I didn't really... Well, here's another side one which I, I don't think you'll agree with, but blood pressure. Yeah. But I thought about it and it does partially make sense. In the plasma part of your... Well, you know that um, thickness of blood... Firstly, let me just say blood pressure is a simple equation, which is the, how much blood is pumped out of the heart per minute, called the cardiac output, yep. times how much resistance is present in the bloodstream. Now, I assume you're going to start talking about the resistance in the bloodstream as being a contributing factor to well, blood pressure. Well, I'll get pressure. to this. Well, initially I would agree, but I think I've sold where you could argue for blood pressure having a role from blood itself. Well, I'll be the judge. Let's okay, see firstly, and this is the weakest argument side of things, um, the thickness of blood will have some small effect on blood pressure. The viscosity. Yeah. All right. Would you agree? Yes, it does. A very small amount? A very small amount, right. but it does contribute okay. to systemic vascular resistance. Yep. Okay. And then within the plasma, which is about 55% of, whole, of the whole blood, you've got dissolved in that a protein called albumin. Okay. Which will pull fluid back into the blood. Sure. So if you don't have albumin, you're going to have edema. So you're going to have more of your fluid in tissue. Sure. So less volume. Okay. Less blood volume, therefore less preload or return in blood, therefore yep. less cardiac output. All right, now let me counter-argue <laughs> by saying that while albumin is transported in the blood, yeah. it is a product of the liver. And so to... But I just mean, it's, you would argue that albumin is in the blood. You would argue it's in the blood, but you wouldn't say that blood itself is what's determining the quantity of albumin present. Correct. 
So you what, you could like so I, so I, albumin could be lost due to liver damage. It could be lost due to inflammation because more's been pushed out. It could be lost due to right side right side heart failure because you've got increased venous pressure, which is going to be pushing more uh, proteins out at the capillaries as well. And none of that has to do with the blood. Yeah, that happens. I don't think I don't think heart failure will affect the albumin though. It's just affecting the hydrostatic forces. It does affect the hydrostatic pro- mm. forces, but you'll find that the hydrostatic forces can increase the outward push, right? So albumin it, it pushes the albumin out. It can, yes. Oh wow, yes, it can. I know that. Yeah. Thank you, Dracula, for that. No, dra- who's who is um Doctor Acula? Doctor Acula. Okay, and then the final one, which is a really interesting function, but yes. I don't think it's that well. Just say is, it. Uh, <laughs> hydraulics. What do you mean? Uh, it, it's used as a hydraulic fluid. What do you mean? In what way? Okay. Um, we could go to a um, peripheral nervous system function, parasympathetic nervous system function. Okay. In a male. Oh. <laughs> See. Okay. So you're saying like a a lever system. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. So so, yeah. That's so that's so specific. It's true though. Yeah, it's true, but all it is in is, is an accumulation of blood and then an occlusion of drainage. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, anyway, I thought it was interesting. It is interesting. Maybe another. But again, is it a function of blood? Well, if you didn't have blood, you wouldn't. That wouldn't occur. True. But if you didn't have blood, nothing's going to occur. And that's actually the way that they um, reverse that process. They draw blood out of it. Yes. Thankfully, they've never called on me to do that. <laughs> <laughs> And they've always used a syringe. Um, Very good. So, I think you've done a good job of outlining the functions there. I think. I wonder we, if the do you think the listeners got what we were referring to? I, I think, think. I think. I think we can breeze past that one. <laughs> so I think when we look at blood, so, and this is what I'm going to do. This is what I've done in my early studies because I'm so interested in blood and the components of blood because I want to know what's the best blood, the best blood. So, I've collected. so much blood from so many people and the best way to do it is you suck it out or you'd probably say you get a syringe and take it out and then put it into a tube and you spin this tube down right now when you spin the tube down you get three distinct layers of blood you get the lightest layer which goes to the top you get the middle layer and then the heaviest layer down the bottom right now and that's just by density yeah by weight like I just said. So <laughs> the, the lightest light at the top is going to be things like water, right? This is the plasma. Okay. Okay. And this is the majority. Yeah. This is transparent. 55% of the whole blood is plasma. Then. Un- Can I stop you there? I actually, I give plasma as a donation. Not and, from- and no one wants it. <laughs> and it's literally the same color as urine. Actually, quite a, a darker urine. And. Like a, probably a dehydrated urine color. Do you want to know why? Sure. Well, all your blood is moving through your kidneys to be filtered. Yep. Okay. So every minute your heart pumps out five liters of blood. Of this five liters, around about one liter goes to the kidneys. Of this one liter, only some of it is filterable because things are too big. And it's the bottom two layers that are too big to be filtered. Only the the top layer. So the so buff, buffy coat and the urethrocyte. So yeah, so in effect, you're you're filtering out around about 120 mils per minute of this one liter that's coming through. Okay, and you end up filtering about 170 liters a day, right? It's a lot. Uh, even more, 200 liters per day. Sometimes 250 liters per day, which is a lot. 
but you reclaim most of that. But what you're left with is the things, the stuff that's in the plasma that was in high abundance that you didn't need. So what is in that plasma, that 55% of whole blood? Three main things. Water, which makes up 92%. Proteins, which make up 7%. And solutes, so dissolved stuff, makes up less than 1%. Okay. So the water's easy. We know what water is. It makes up the most of our plasma. So just to reiterate, 55% of your blood... All of it. So if you take a tube of blood out, like if you get a blood test, put it in a... What size tube is that? Like 15 mil tube. They spin it down. 55%, which sits on the top, is plasma. And of that plasma, 92% is water. Yep. 7% is proteins and... Less than one percent and just dissolve solutes. Yes. Do you want me to say it again? We'll do it. We'll do no, it for that's a fourth one, time. That's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So th- we'll leave water because everyone knows what it is. W- yeah. What water is? Tastes horrible. Um, uh, protein. Yes. Talk about that. So All what's right. the proteins in your plasma? And I, I guess you'd call it plasma proteins, right? <laughs> that's good. Yes, it is. Very smart. Um, th- there's there's many different types. Three that we should probably talk about, or at least one we should probably talk about, which is I think albumin. There's at least a hundred types. Do you want to talk about them all? Uh, not today. Okay. Albumin is probably the most important. You would agree. Produced in the liver, carried in the blood, has a number of important roles. Probably two most important roles of albumin is that it's a transport molecule for fat-soluble substances. Yep. So, so if, if something's water-soluble, it means it loves water. It's just going to float all the way through water. All good. If something is fat-soluble, it hates water. So it needs something to help carry it, and that's albumin. So this may be hormones, maybe drugs, whatever. Yep. Okay, so it, it's good. Yep. It also plays a role, like you were talking about earlier, in osmotic pressure. So when you've got a capillary, you've got holes in capillaries and you're going to have the blood pressure, which is going to be pushing stuff out. Anything that's small enough to get through is going to go out. But luckily, there's proteins inside that capillary that are too big to leave and they have a negative charge associated with them, proteins, because there's a lot of phosphates. So that's why... Um because some students might think, well, the red blood cells and white blood cells are bigger than the albumin. Yeah. So why don't they do the pulling force? Yes. It's just because of the negative charge. Correct. Okay. Yep. And so, and because albumin is one of the most abundant proteins, yeah. it's going to be one of the most important for pulling water back in. So it reclaims that fluid. Okay. And so and that's so, extremely important. So if you didn't have enough albumin, yeah. and so two examples of why you might have this, liver disease yep. or maybe kidney disease where you're peeing out a lot of albumin. Yeah, yeah, like glomerulonephritis or something. So you're losing your albumin, therefore you're not going to have that pulling pressure back into the capillaries. Yeah. Therefore the fluid will stay off in the capillary or in the tissue of the capillaries. So examples would be um, you could have swollen tissues. I don't know if it's specifically um, legs in this case. I think it can be strange locations like under the eyes um, obviously liver issues is in the abdomen, which they call ascites. Yeah. And I think there's a certain formula, which I don't know, that you could have a person that has ascites, which is fluid in their abdomen, up to, I don't know, I'm guessing, potentially up to 10 litres yeah. of fluid in their peritoneal space. But each litre that you pull out, I think you've got to put a certain amount of albumin back in. Wow. But I don't know the formula. Wow. But I'm just aware of it. So liver, liver or kidney issues could affect that albumin, therefore affect that osmotic pressure. Yeah, really important, really important. So that's the, one of the most important proteins. Globulins are another important type, which play an important immune role. 
most specifically? Antibodies. Antibodies. That's a good one. That's right. And can play a clotting role. And talking about clotting, another important protein is fibrinogen, which is, again, produced by the liver. So it's inactive. Yes. In that form. Yeah. If you have an exam and it asks you about where a particular protein is made and it ends in O-G-E-N, most of these proteins are made in the liver. All so right. fibrinogen, um, angiotensinogen, they're all made in the liver. Oh, pepsinogen. Pepsinogen <laughs> is made at the in the stomach. the stomach, chief cells. Okay, so all right, cool. Thanks for that. Okay. So most, I said most. Yep. And then, so yeah, fibrinogen. We'll talk about shortly. Important with clotting. So when we start talking about Fibrin. platelets, yep. fibrinogen is important. All right, they're the proteins. The other important aspect of plasma is solutes. So less than 1% of that 55% of plasma is solutes. So what are solutes? Uh, molecules dissolved in a solvent. Yeah. And the universal solvent in biology is water. Yeah. So anything dissolved in water, and that's going to be ions, nutrients, gases, waste. What type of ions are going to be in blood? Well, there's many of them, but I think the main ones to be mindful of is sodium which is a cation, potassium, also a cation, chloride. You know what we missed out on talking about? Yeah. Really important. Is blood extracellular fluid fluid or intracellular fluid? Extra. So, so if you look at extracellular fluid, it's broken up into two main parts that I'm aware of. Interstitial, between the cells, and intravascular, which is what this, what this is. And is that this right? Is, yeah, and this is super important because it means whatever's in the blood is going to be between the cells. Yeah. And... Whatever you ingest will be in the blood, right? So if you drink it or eat it, it's going to get in the blood. If and the if, li- it's if the liver allows it to. I mean, if you can absorb it and the liver allows it to get in the blood. Correct. Yes. And if it gets in the blood, it's going to move out of the blood. And if it's out of the blood, it's going to be between the tissues. And there's a concentration of stuff between the tissues. And that can change concentration gradients. So what I'm saying is, if you find out what the most abundant extracellular stuff is, that's going to be what's in the blood and vice versa. So if you drink a lot of salt a lot of that, or eat a lot of salt, that salt's ultimately going to end up outside the cells. Yep. And your kidneys are going to have to have a, you know... Or just go with that um, for the time being. So you have a lot of salt in your diet, let's say, um, or you just have a huge salt, salty meal. That salt, we'll just go with sodium at this point, um, will go into your blood and then it goes into the extracellular space or the interstitial space, which means now there's an osmotic gradient to pull fluid from the cell into the space. That's so right. So you start to get edema yeah. to a point in time and I'm sure you better somehow eventually filter it out. But that's probably why you get thirsty Yes. after a salty meal. Yeah, and that's why I, I never, ever drink the blood of somebody who's just had a packet of chips or popcorn or anything like that because my meal is also my liquid, right? right? So I satiate the same way that I hydrate. So if I have a salty meal, i got to go drink more blood. I will be over full on blood. It's ridiculous. So I've got to find someone who's nice and well hydrated and then end up stumbling across somebody who's been kicking keto hard And so I end up getting all this fat in my blood. makes me feel gross. Stop it, keto guys. Do they block your fangs up, the fat? Oh, it's just gross. It just tastes yuck. You know, they've got all... They put like oil and MCT in their coffee. What's MCT? MCT oil. Don't know what that is. (laughs) Who does? They don't. (laughs) (laughs) 
And then what ends up happening after they get diarrhea is they I end up drinking their blood. And I've just got fat in my fangs. There you go. There you go. <laughs> now, All right. So that's the ions. Now, the nutrients, this is, this is what I'm after. I'm after the nutrients. And the types of nutrients you're going to find is anything that you eat. So your macronutrients... Get broke, you know, fats, proteins, carbs get broken down into micronutrients, which we've spoken about. Well, you and Michael have spoken about many times before, but because I'm embodying him, I have his memories. He's got horrible memories of you, by the way. Anyway, these nutrients include glucose, can include um, uh, amino acids. Fats are a little bit different because fats get absorbed into the lymphatic system and then jump into the venous and then get transported to particular tissues. So fat can also travel with the um, the proteins too, right? That's right. To make right. them um, the the high density or the low density lipoproteins. Correct. Mm. Yeah, correct. And uh, gases, oxygen, carbon dioxide, nitrogen, sort of just floating through. Don't really care about that one. And waste, like urea. So uh, creatinine. Creatinine. Yes. Um, what about lactate? Is that a waste? No, lactate's a normal byproduct of glycolysis. I've just pulled that from Michael's memory. He's very good at metabolism, by the way. Right. Just letting you know all this stuff that's coming through. God is attractive and smart. So that is the plasma. That's the 55% of all your blood. Water, protein, solutes. Brilliant. Now, In that order. In that order. Well, of yes. Yes. What's the next, the smallest amount, the next layer, which looks like this sort of... Buffy. Wasn't Buffy a vampire yeah, slayer? <laughs> yes, yes. So every time I say it, I cringe a little bit. But um, yes, Buffy was a vampire. You need bring Buffy back. That's all I reckon. Yeah, look, Buffy was a great show to watch. Um, people try and emulate Buffy. and They're never successful, obviously. There's been a lot of vampires over the years. Do you know who the worst vampire was? Um, the Twilight Vampires. Okay. They're vegetarian. Is that possible? <laughs> not in maybe, my world. Maybe they've got an ethical conscience. I mean, you're not even a vampire then. What are you? You just are. Have you ever taken blood from an animal? Oh, look, when you're desperate, you've got to do what you've got to do. Did you know um, other animals have different coloured blood? Really? Yeah. Like what? Well, when we get into... I really stop to look. <laughs> well, invertebrates, should I say... Vertebrates will generally have red blood because of hemoglobin. Oh, not invertebrates. No, that's right. That's why I got to stop. Because <laughs> so I've never sucked the blood of an invertebrate, by the way. It's too difficult. That would be hard. Yeah, yeah. So, so a vertebrate will have red blood by and large because of um, the hemoglobin. Yeah. So once we get to a point, and we'll, I guess we'll do this when we talk about red blood cells, but once we get to the point where we, we need a lot of energy, so our metabolism's high, we need to make a lot of energy, we start to put a pigment into the blood. Because remember at this point, it's just a, uh, a fluid, a transporting fluid. So once you start to put a pigment into it, that will change the colour of it. And so that gives it a bit better ability to carry more oxygen. So, so is that the heme or is that the globin? I'd say the heme, so the, the, the iron component. So the globulin is the protein, which we spoke about. But the heme is what? A... a get the chemical structure, but then it has four chunks of iron off That's right. the heme component, right? Yep. So um, that gives the red colour. But then you could go into other animals and instead of heme, let me just find the word, hemocyanin, which is instead of the iron, it's oh. copper. Yeah. And so this Cyano. is what, 
So this is where you'll get a bluing color. Ah. So, so this is in these animals like octopus, particularly. Uh, I think octopuses is that the correct term? Yes, I think we always is. say this. Oh, no, it is. It's octopuses. Um, it's not octopi. I've been on this world seven hundred fifty yeah. years. Don't say octopi. Okay. I think in that in their case, I just forget which way around it goes. Um, I think the the ones the, oct- the octopuses that live in. Um, Sounds stupid. Warmer water, warmer water. Yeah, need yeah. a bluer blood. Okay. Because they need to carry more oxygen. Where the the f- why do you need more oxygen in warmer water? Well, there's less there's less oxygen in warmer water than there is uh, cold water because it's shaking up more and jiggling oh, I don't think more. That, I think it's just yeah, it would have the to be carrying capacity in the water. The, ho- the warmer the water, the more it shakes. The more the atoms shake. The more the atoms shake, the oh, more okay. likely gases oh, go. are going to dissipate. Okay, fair enough. I just thought you meant it's more turbulent water. No, 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 no. Just the mo- at the molecular level. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I've never sucked the blood of an octopus, so it's blue. Yeah, that's right. Okay. okay. Uh, and there's probably other animals, invertebrates that. Well, will there's have heaps blood of animals blood. that sort of give their blood to their young. Yeah. So uh, I think the thing you showed me earlier this, this yeah, morning. Yeah. So this was an article I read 150 years ago when nature first sort of came so out. So you read that when it came out. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Oh, I've got all the original uh, editions of Nature. Yes, yeah, from 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 when it first started in I think eighteen sixty nine. Right. Yes. So what did this talk about? That some birds feed blood to their uh, their young young flamingos, right? Pelicans. Who can fit more in their beak than their belly can? And a pelican. It's just a joke. Okay. <laughs> um. So that's blue, and that's hippopotamus. They've got red. That's sweat, sweat. Isn't it? That's yeah. sweat. But it's but not blood, is it? Believe me, I've licked the back of a hippopotamus in desperation. <laughs> it was just a salty mess. It was not. It was not blood, unfortunately. So what? Is, what gives it the red color? I don't know. I didn't stay. I didn't ask him. Okay, didn't hang around. They've got off. a very good um, healing capacity in their skin, though. Hippopotamus. <laughs> I think something to do with the secretions make a very good environment for um, the healing because they have a lot of fights. And, so, and they live in pretty ordinary Conditions, water. Yeah. And so you'd think it get they'd get infected, but they've got a very strong healing p- potential. Like me. Cut yeah. me. Do it. You just lick it. Yeah, that's true. Cut, um, cut, yeah. And then one other one, and then I'll we'll move on. Please. Is there's some fish in the, um, I think, uh, ice fish. Ice fish. Ice fish. Yeah, that's its name. They have clear blood. Because okay. they have, they have no pigment, and then a final point is there's a frog oh, on top of the last there's one. There's a fr- yeah, there's a frog in New Guinea that has green blood, ah. but the reason how this works is when you break up your red blood cells, which we know has the heme. So all vertebrates, which include frogs, have red blood. Okay, so you'd be saying, well, why is except that? this frog that's got green blood? Yeah. And so you'd be like, that's the question I was going to ask myself. Why isn't it red? Well, the red, as we established, is the heme, which is in the red blood cell. Now, when a red blood cell dies, how long does it last again? Again, 120 days. Short-term memory. (laughs) Um, It has to recycle certain components of it because otherwise it'd be a huge waste. Yes. The globin, the heme, and the iron. Yeah, so the heme component gets taken, which becomes something called biliverdin, gets taken to the liver to get repackaged, right? And so its initial uh, change, alteration, from Billy Verdon to then Billy Rubin, I think the Billy Verdon is green. 
Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. So this frog, for some reason, doesn't convert it very well. And so the biliverdin builds up and then makes the blood go green. Oh. So similar to, you know, if you've had, had a, a very bad bruise yes. in your skin. Well, no, but yeah, I've seen s- them. <laughs> in your skin, the first part of the bruise, well, I guess the first part is red, but then it goes green yes. and then yellow. Yes. Okay. So the green is that biliverdin. So this frog um, likes to live in a environment, well, it's, in its blood environment is ultra high in biliverdin and it's thought that that protects it against malaria. Because mosquitoes are just like, this tastes horrific. I would not suck yeah. the blood of this. Of this frog. Frog, no. But when you go to New Guinea next, just try it. Look, there's so many restrictions. I'm stuck in Queensland at the moment. <laughs> Sucking the blood so of you're Queenslanders. You're adhering to travel restrictions. It's, look, I could, Can you get COVID through drinking blood? The problem is, it's just not smart to turn into a bat nowadays. <laughs> yeah. So it's That's best, right. best right. staying in human form. Yeah, good point. All right, the buffy coat, right? You know, you're a lot funnier than Michael. I think you should hang around longer. Oh, we'll see. Okay, Buffy. Uh, so I'll this was the this was the the middle part between the plasma and the erythrocytes. Erythrocytes, yeah, yeah. and it's, it's it's only less one percent of the whole blood. That's right. It looks white in color, and it's as you do. Yep. <laughs> thank you. Got to stop bringing that up. Um, it's made up of white blood cells, right? And which, uh, which is what's the term they use for that? Uh, we, we call them uh, leukocytes because leuco means white. And cytes? Uh, means cell. So that's spelt with a C Y T as opposed to an S. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. That's right. That's right. So leukocytes. And so this part here is all about immune, it, really. Yeah, about protecting the body. Um, and the great thing is every time I suck somebody's blood, I get their leukocytes. And so I get their antibodies and I get memory and protection against so many different things. People think that, as a vampire. I'd be questionable whether you actually, um, I think your gastrointestinal system would just break up those cells. I don't yeah. think you're going to get them into your own Okay, blood. okay, yeah. yeah. Who's the hematologist here, mate? <laughs> so when we look at the leukocytes, the white blood cells, there's a couple of different types. In total, if we take all the white blood cells, there's 10,000 of them per mil of blood. It's a fair, fair bit, right? Now, Never let monkeys eat bananas is how I have always been taught. Never let, never let, yeah, monkeys eat bananas. Yeah, so yeah. each this is a mnemonic. Yep. The first letter of each tells you the first letter of each white blood cell. Okay. In so never, concentration, N. descending concentration. Oh, okay. So, so the N is the most abundant Correct. white blood cell. That's the neutrophils. They digest. Do you know bacteria. the percentages? I don't. I, I don't. No, no, I don't. So I ne- think it's in the sixties. Of total. Yeah. Yeah, neutrophils are the most abundant. So neutrophils digest bacteria. They're also the first white blood cell on the scene to any kind of acute inflammation. Yeah, you, you could say that they uh, phagocytose, yeah. they're phagocytes. So, so if you engulf. have any kind of early stage infection, generally speaking, your white blood cells is up yeah. and your neutrophils will be up. Yeah. yeah. Lymphocytes, second most abundant. These are our B and T cells. Which have done an episode on the immune system. Yeah. So well, we at least you and Mike did. So yeah. So we can probably brush over this. Yes, but T B, and B cells. Yeah, T and B cells are. So this is adaptive immune system. That's right. Yeah, yep. it's probably all we need to say, really. Monocytes. Monocytes are young white blood cells, and they tend to follow the neutrophils when there's some sort of infection or inflammation, and when they jump out of the bloodstream into the tissue, 
They also turn into phagocytes, specifically macrophages, yep. to further engulf and destroy anything that's there that shouldn't be there. Okay. Dead cells, bacteria, whatever it may be. Then the last two, which people don't often talk about, are the eosinophils and basophils. And I'd say a nice way to sort of remember is that eosinophils love to get activated when you're infected by some sort of pathogen like a worm. Parasites. Um, parasites. And then basophils are activated due to allergies. Yeah. I think eosinophils also very important allergies, uh, particularly respiratory. So asthma, allergic asthma, they very high amounts of eosinophils in the bronchioles. Yes. Both do... Yeah, both are stimulated due to allergies. But you'd say the eosinophils are probably most strongly activated when you have some sort of parasitic worm, for example. Yep. All right, so they are our leukocytes. Then the last type of, I wouldn't say cell, but I'd probably say a cellular component. Starts with a cell, but definitely... Um, turns into like this busted little remnant of a cell. Well, the best way I like to say it is it starts off... Well, the first thing... Um, and this could also substantiate your claim that it's connected tissue. Okay. These cells all originate in bone. Yes, yes, And yes. bone is connected tissue. True. Okay, so there's a stem cell that produces your blood cells. Okay, it's a hemoetic, hemopoietic stem cell. Yes, writes many poems. And so when it copies itself, you can go down. And we'll briefly mention this in hemopoiesis. Yeah. But it will go down lineages to decide what it wants to become. So that's why it's a stem cell. It still hasn't completely differentiated. So it can go down, you know, make red blood cells, it can go make the different types of white blood cells. But in this case, it's going to make a platelet. Yeah. Now, when it pops out of the, out of the blood, it kind of um, is what we call a mega, mega carrier site. So a it's mega, mega, mega. So two it's megas. Big, two huge. megas. Mega, mega. Yeah, so it's very large. Now, I think of it like a huge dinner plate. Right. And now if you're at a Greek wedding. Yes. And um, what Good happens? Good blood. Good what blood ha- in the Greeks. <laughs> what happens? I didn't think you'd like garlic. I don't like raw garlic. Okay. Anyway, so back to this mega karyocyte. If you get this big dinner Unless plate. It's like garlic bread. That's big, pretty good. Big dinner plate. Yeah. And just throw it on the ground like at the wedding. What happens to the plate? It's smashed on the floor. And so and now you go, you don't whoppa! Have, now you don't have... A plate, but you have what? Little plates. Platelets. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And that's what platelets Thanks are. Thanks, everybody, for joining us at Dr. Matt and Dr. <laughs> so just have small fragments of that one original cell. It's probably the best joke you've ever made. Thanks a lot. So that's Buffy coat. Are yes. You, is that enough? I think well, that's, I think that's we should talk about what platelets do. Let's talk about well, some... We'll, he- we'll get... Do you want to do the hemostasis now? Yeah, let's talk about what, what platelets do. And so I think... When we talk about platelets, we talk about clotting. And there's a process called hemostasis. So, for example... What's heme mean, by the way? It means blood. Yeah. So right? Hemato so, or hemo. I think sometimes... Because I'm a hematologist, the, so I study blood. There's sometimes an A before the E. Yeah. If you're... Or if you're American. If you're Australian, like you and Mike. Just... <laughs> if you're American, make what it easy. Romanians? And it's a... Is Romanian... Phonetic. Is it British? You use British English, English in Romania? Uh, no, we use Romanian. Because <laughs> you're a moron. From the, <laughs> from the medical side. Of course, Western-centric here. Okay. So when we look at hemostasis, so stasis means to stop. Or imbalance. Okay. So it means to stop. And Well, you're not stopping <laughs> blood. You don't want blood to stop. No, but what you're doing is you're stopping the bleeding process. And so when we look at hemostasis, let's just say 
as an example, I bite into your neck to get some blood. So I break the tissue and I have to break the blood uh, vessel in order to drain that blood out for a nice delicious meal. Unsure whether you'd be delicious or not. That's besides the point. I've punctured the blood vessel. There's damage. Now you're going to continually bleed out unless something blocks it up. And this is where the platelets come along. Now the hemostasis has three important phases associated with it. Wonderful. Now the very first phase is this reflexive response that the blood vessel does when it gets damaged where it goes into spasm and contracts. And now this contraction is important. It's a contraction and constriction in which it tries to limit the loss of blood by contracting the endothelial cells. That makes sense. And And the diameter of the blood vessel. And the diameter of the blood vessel limiting the amount of blood loss. Makes sense. Easy peasy. But I think that can come about from like just muscle, like smooth muscle injury, neurological reaction to it, but also um, from the next step. Yep, yep. yep. And even things like atherosclerotic plaques can um, do this type of thing to the blood vessel, particularly this next step. Okay. Now, this next step, what's it called? Uh, Platelet plug formation or platelet aggregation. I think this is all just part of the, just, we'll just say, say platelet. The platelet step. Okay. The platelet step, yeah. All right. So because the blood vessel is damaged, blood vessel is made up of connective tissue yeah. and connective tissue often has collagen yep. and collagen is sticky. And so we've got all this sticky collagen exposed to the lumen or the hollow inside of the blood vessel. And because you've got platelets, you've got something like 300,000 platelets per mil. It's flowing through this blood vessel. It sticks to this sticky collagen. Yep. And then once it sticks, once it sticks to the sticky collagen the platelet gets activated. Mm. And when it activates, it releases something called prothrombin activator. And what prothrombin activator does is it takes a protein that's produced again by the liver called prothrombin, which is made by the liver and also requires vitamin K for its production. Prothrombin gets activated by this prothrombin activator and turns into thrombin. And thrombin is like some molecular scissors that take that fibrinogen we spoke about chops that OGEN off the end and turns it into fibrin, which is like a fine, um, what would you say? How would you, like a uh, like a thread, like a fine thread. And, and that's, and that's the, the fibrinogen is the um, the part of the connective tissue with the fibres. Yes, and, and that fibrin, this fine thread, now starts to bind all these platelets up yeah. and binds that area up. And that's why the, the clotting cascade is now beginning. And so, what you now and, and with the and with the clotting cascade, there's a whole abundance of proteins that are inactive. But, yes, but you kind of go step by step by step. That just act, keeps activating each other, which kind of keeps turning on the next step. Yeah, you've got direct and indirect aspects of coagulation. This coagulation cascade, but all you need to know is that it it forms a clot. It's almost like this is the way I kind of thought about it earlier. You know, when you go to a hardware store and you buy like super glue, but it's in separate tubes. Oh, yeah. So if you take one and try to make it sticky, it won't be effective on its own. Yeah. But if you mix the two, then it has a reaction and then causes it to become then gluey-like. Yeah. And then it will harden and do what you want it to do, right? Yeah, I think that's a a good analogy. So in this case, you need all these kind of clotting mixtures together to be activated to ultimately activate the clot. That's right. So we kind of do this um, in our surgeries, animal surgeries. We use fibrin glue 
and fibrin glue is in, in an, an inactive state, but as soon as you put it into the wound, it would come into contact with uh, all these clotting proteins. Yeah. And then it will activate it to then become harder. Yep. And so it's almost like the only way you can r- really describe it is. I think we did. <laughs> no, I just mean the consistency of a, oh, a yeah. clot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you've ever. It's a bit gross, but if you've ever cleaned a fish, um, sometimes when you... You mean just giving it a bath? <laughs> no, like you you caught a fish, you want to eat it, so you take the scales off, take off the head, oh, and then I've you... I've never eaten a fish. Then you take out the um, visceral organs. Okay. And then sometimes at the back abdominal wall is you'll get these clots kind of there. Okay. And that's just from their bleeding that and has done all these steps, and you get this kind of... Well, how would you describe it? Well, that's a gross way to, uh, yeah, I didn't, to talk I about it. I couldn't really think about... Because you don't really see a clot to do with your own bleeding, it's just, really. It's just, it's just like a, a, a thicker red jelly. Yeah. It's, yeah. 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 Which, the only other which is a family-friendly way of talking about it. The only other additional... So I think you did a great job of the hemostasis. The only points that I'll just add to it, in the platelet plug step, there's a couple of additional points to it is the platelets will come up, come along and like you said the exposure of the collagen will kind of start to activate them with there's a factor that's kind of mediated here called von Wildeband's factor oh, which yeah. i'm sure you met the guy um yeah i met a lot of the vons when <laughs> anyway um and then we get uh the activation from the platelets pr- releasing through the cyclooxygenase called a cox1 enzyme and that would not go down the path to produce prostaglandin, but in this case, thromboxin. Thromboxin is an important, oh, yes. important kind of mediator, which causes the platelets to aggregate, kind of to come together and hold hands. Oh, that's would you cute. say that's would you say that's an accurate? Yeah, point? I'd say that's a nice. So thromboxin is very important here, because and we'll get to it in a second in terms of drug um, medications. Um, so thromboxin is also quite important, and ADH. Um, which is just a byproduct of ATP production, right? ADH. A- ADP, sorry, ADP. Okay. I was going to say yeah. antidiuretic hormone. Yeah, yeah, definitely right. not that. ADP, sorry. Yeah. Um, and so what's happening here, we go from the, the, the injury, the collagen, to the platelets coming around, to them releasing some certain chemicals, which now get them to hold hands. And then the further step is what you said, then it starts to release another hormone which will then bring in the clotting cascade or the coagulation steps. Yeah. Which is really turning prothrombin into thrombin and then fibrinogen into fibrin and now you've got a stabilised clot. Um, Now, this is where you can bring your drugs in, your anti-clotting drugs. So aspirin, which is a very common drug, is all around the platelets. So what that drug does is essentially blocks that COX-1 in uh, enzyme and stops the thromboxin, so it stops the aggra- not the aggravation, the aggra- aggregation. Yeah. So stops the platelets loitering around the area and starting <laughs> a uh, clot to begin. Yep. So you would give aspirin clinically to prevent the clot even starting. Yeah. Okay. That's fair enough. Do you think? Yeah, I hate it when people have aspirin in their blood. Blah. Very thin. Blah. Then another fairly common one is heparin. Now, heparin's interesting because heparin is actually released from your endothelial cells to stop any kind of clotting to even begin. So in your normal blood vessels, um, right on the endothelial lining, you would always have heparin just there and it stops blood clotting when it shouldn't. 
Okay, and I think they first isolated this from maybe pig art arteries or blood vessels, and then they figured out how to create it themselves. But heparin kind of prevents the thrombin to cross-link into fib- fibrinogen to fibrin, so it, cl- it stops the stabilizing effect of the clot. So that could be used a bit further downstream of the clot first starting. And Do you know what the importance of vitamin K is in all this? And then I'll get to this. That was the next. Oh, okay. And then we bring in warfarin. Yes. Which has other names. I just can't remember the name of it. Um, warfarin is... Um, Rat sack. <laughs> yeah. That's another so, name, isn't so, it? Well, that wasn't what I was thinking. Oh. But yes, that's another another aspect. Uh, the vitamin K plays a very important role in the... Uh, the can I can I say? Oh, okay. Yeah. So what vitamin K does, which obviously it's a vitamin, so we can't make it ourselves. We need to get it, we need to get it from our diet. What vitamin K does is it takes coagulation factors and it does something called carboxylation. And so what that simply means is it takes a coagulation factor and it adds a carbon and two oxygens to it. Now the thing with carboxylation is that it makes the coagulation factor negatively charged. And this is important because you need all these negative charges on your coagulation factors because calcium is actually important when you have your platelets clotting up that area that's that's um, uh, plugging up that aggregating. Area. Yes. So when you've got the platelets that have aggregated at the damaged site, loitering, calcium is present. Yeah. Now platelets are negatively charged. Coagulation factors are also negatively charged now. So negative and negative can't bind together. So we need a happy intermediate to bring them together. That's calcium. So without vitamin K, we can't negatively charge our coagulation factors, which means they can't bind to calcium, which means calcium can't bind to platelets, which means there's no coagulation factors binding to platelets. All right. So so vitamin K doesn't change the abundance of coagulation factors. It just changes whether they're negatively charged and have an ability to bind. All right. And so when, you're, when a baby's born, doesn't have any vitamin K, that's why they get the vitamin K shot. That's right. But eventually you'll get that through your bacteria in your gut. Yeah, so a lot of people, you know, they think that they have an immature coagulation system, but they don't. They've got the ability to coagulate just fine. There's no vitamin K. It's just you need that vitamin K to carboxylate the coagulation factors, make them negative to bind to the calcium, to bind to the platelet. And so warfarin interferes with this. That's right. Okay. Well, on calcium, because it, as you said, it plays a very important role in clotting, if you, when you take whole blood, what they would have figured out pretty early on is it clots pretty quickly. So to Tell do, me about it. So to do transfusions before they could even get to that point, they had to f- figure out putting certain things into the blood, um, one being citrate, and that stops the calcium reaction. Exactly. And that it stays in fluid and doesn't... So that calcium is stopping the coagulation factors binding to the platelets. Look at that. Look at this bringing physiology together. It's quite nice, isn't it? Well done. Thank you. So that's that's buffy coat done. Yeah, now we're at the last layer, the heaviest sediment layer, which is made up of 45% of the remaining blood, which is all one type of cell, erythrocytes. Right. Red blood cells. Red blood cells. And there's so many of these. So urethro means red? Yeah, erythro does. Okay. And site means cell. <laughs> Good. And how many of these are there per mil? Many. Okay, how many is many? I think you have 25 billion in a teaspoon of blood yeah so you have about five million per mil that's a lot isn't it yeah it's one of the most abundant cells in the body you make two million a second 
And you make so four million leukocytes. Sorry, you make. Gonna say you it sounds like Jeff Bezos. You make. <laughs> he makes about two million a second. You probably. You make f- double that of platelets per second. You make more platelets than red blood cells, yeah. but you've but got more d- red blood cells than platelets. Yeah, they die quickly. Ah, okay, there you go. So higher turnover. Um, okay, gotcha. But, but two million a second is a lot, isn't it? Yeah. I, I don't think I could count that fast. <laughs> and I'm immortal. <laughs> so what the erythrocytes do is they basically are just gas-carrying molecules. So in actual fact, and I think this is probably where we should bring hematopoiesis in because we can then, once we get to a stem cell all the way to a red blood cell, we can talk about why they are best suited to carry gases. Right. Does that sound okay? Yep. So I don't know how you how much detail you wanted to go in for erythropoiesis, but can I start and then you can fill in any gaps that you think are important? Yeah, I think that's a good idea. Okay, so if you take red red bone marrow, so where can you find red bone marrow? Uh, in well, bone. At what age? Oh, good point. Let's let's say adult. Uh, okay, let's say let's say child, and then we'll move to adult. Right, newborn. Okay, let's say newborn. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, you define the rules. So this stem cell, which is in your bone marrow, as an just adult, tell me where red bone marrow. I'm just going to say how it moves, and then it's all yours. So, <laughs> early age of embryology, it's in the yolk sac. Then it moves to the liver and spleen. The red bone marrow. Well, the 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 thing that's going to make bone are the blood cells. Okay. Then it goes into long bones. What's it? And w- then w- where did it start? Yolk uh, sac. Yolk sac. Then spleen. Spleen liver. Yeah. And then uh, it will go into. What age are we talking about here? Spleen liver. This is still embryo. Okay. And then probably when you're born, um, long bones can do it. But then when you kind of become more adult, um, predominantly in flat bones. Yeah. The only long Sternum bone that scale. really, yeah, only real long bone that does it is probably the proximal femur. femur. Yeah. Okay. Great. So now you go. All right. So the so the red bone marrow is carrying these hematopoietic stem cells. So poesis means you can. Well, actually, I don't know what poesis means, but I think poesis means you can continually produce uh yeah. right i think or, or something along those lines so basically you start off with a, hem- a hematic po- a hematopoietic stem cell in the red bone marrow and this cell turns into something called a pro erythroblast which then turns into something called an early erythrocyte which then turns into a late erythrocyte and then turns into something called a reticulocyte now interestingly this reticulocyte has lost its nucleus it's gone and this reticulocyte will jump into the bloodstream from the red bone marrow. And after around about two to three days, it starts to change its shape and molds itself into that beautiful uh, donut-looking shape of the red blood cell, which lasts around about 120 How days. How big is it? It's around about 7 to 10 micrometers in size. Tiny. Tiny for a cell. Now, in it's order, a, It's 80 in a salamander. That's a large... Ten, it's so the largest... Times. Yeah, it's the largest um, red blood cell in vertebrates. Do you know why? Um, <clears throat> well, only mammals lose the um, nucleus. Okay. So it's only the mammals that will lose all the organelles. All the other lower vertebrates will have all the organelles in the red blood cells. Um, it suggest, that suggests um, that mammals just need a great deal more oxygen. It also would suggest potentially that yeah. Those other animals can regenerate damaged Possibly. red blood cells. So I think I think sorry. when you do have a red blood cell, sorry, when you do have a nucleus in your red blood cells, by default it becomes more oval shaped. Yes. 
Yeah. Whereas when you lose it, it changes its shape. I think for at least humans, I'm not sure about all the mammals, but I think at least humans, um, it will become a, a more of a donut looking one because of its ability to really squeeze into small things. Yes. Small, <laughs> small capillaries. <laughs> I think also um, the, the shape of it gives it a better um, surface area to volume ratio. For gas exchange. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, I'm going to – okay, here's a quick test. Four things you need to produce a red blood cell from a, a hematopoietic stem cell. Okay. What do you need? You mean like ingredients? Yeah. Uh, I guess iron. Okay, iron's one. Proteins? Amino acids, yep. Uh, is this just a building blocks? Uh, they're they're rate limiters. Oh, um, the the B, next the next two are vitamins. B twelve. Yes. Folate. Yes, that's right. So they're the four things that you must have in order to produce healthy red blood cells. Which is good because we can then talk about this quickly in terms of anemias. So, which anemia just means a problem with red blood cells generally. Are you okay with the way that I spoke about that hematopoiesis? Yeah, yeah. That's a nice, simple way. Yeah. Now, let's just hang on that red blood cell for a second. And the surface area is important. Like you said, its shape allows it to bend, change its, uh, its ability to, to move its way through capillaries because many capillaries, it's only one red blood cell wide. So 7 to 10 microns diameter, a number of capillaries. So it goes single line through a number of these and it needs to have that ca- capacity to bend and change its shape. If it doesn't, then it's targeted for degradation, goes off to the spleen to be recycled, which we'll talk about in a sec. And liver to be recycled. And I wonder if that's got something to do also with where it once was as origination. Maybe. Maybe. Um, It's surface area as well, like you were saying, because it's just packed with hemoglobin. I think it's 97% of the volume of the red blood cell is hemoglobin. Yeah, it's crazy. And so if you've packed with hemoglobin, there's no cells, uh, sorry, there's no nucleus, there's no organelles, it's just hemoglobin basically, and each hemoglobin carries four oxygen, for example, you end up having a capacity, I think there's 250 million hemoglobin per red blood cell, each carrying one, four oxygen, so it's one billion oxygen per red blood cell, and we have uh, five million per mil, we've got a huge capacity to carry oxygen. Um and because it's packed with oxygen, even the oxygen deep in the center of the red blood cell needs to diffuse out. And if it was perfectly round like a ball, you'd think that the oxygen right in the middle would have the most difficult time diffusing out because it's got the furthest distance to travel. But if it's squished like a donut, doesn't matter where the oxygen is, it's got the same distance to diffuse out of the cell. And that's awesome. Yeah. So it can get through the cell because it can change shape and it allows for diffusion to occur, which is beautiful. Now what do you want to talk about with red blood cells? So uh, you said you wanted to talk about something important, <laughs> anemias. I can't, I can't remember now. Well, I was just going to say in terms of the, I think the shape is you've, um, you're correct in terms of it's a, com- a combination of it needs um, a huge amount of space to carry a lot of oxygen. Um, it needs to be flexible. Um, I read something that said if it did have mitochondria then it would be just some of this oxygen that's carrying it would start to make atp with it oh. so, which would maybe be pointless because there's probably no real reason for why uh, yeah um, red blood, red blood, blood, blood needs, needs much atp i think the small amount of atp that does make 
allows it to hold its shape to a degree. Yeah. Now, when it goes into so as you, as you said, um, it it gets sent through the body, you know, all parts of the body, but spleen and liver play a, a particular role in um, trying to um, measure its flexibility. Yeah, true. That's that's a good point. And so it shoots these or shoots the blood through this network. I think it's called red pulp, which is kind of a trabeculated network of blood vessels. And for the blood to go into the red pulp, I think it's okay. But to then get back into the circulation, it needs to go through a very difficult maze. It's like and the trials for a, an Olympic competition. Or when, the, when, when you start off with 50 athletes. Or that ninja warrior. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's better. And so if you're old and decrepit, yes. um, you can't... Like me? Is that what you're saying? No, no. You can't get across that first swing. Yeah, <laughs> or whatever. That's true. Or whatever. Yeah. And so um, you can't fit through. And then r- sitting right there on the side is uh, a specialised type of macrophage, which just says, look, mate, you're too old. And they eat you, solent green. And they'll just chomp you up. Look at that. And that then ma- makes... You know, you get recycled. Yes. Certain parts get sent back to certain well, areas. So you don't lose it, particularly iron, because iron's very important. Well, okay. So let's talk about that recycling very quickly. Because when you, when you destroy a red blood cell, it's pretty much just hemoglobin. And hemoglobin is heme, globin, and the iron that's in the heme. So it's easy. You take the globin, which is just amino acids, and you throw it back, and it can be recycled for more hematopoiesis. Or... or or any, other functions. Any kind of protein. You take the iron, you can chuck it back to hematopoiesis. You can make more... Send back to the bone marrow. Correct. You take the heme, well, it's a bit more difficult to recycle. And so that heme gets sent to the liver and it goes through a, quite an extensive process where it turns into biliverd and bilirubin and so forth, goes to the bile. That yep. bile then gets excreted into the uh, intestines where it gets changed again. That gives the poo colour. Yes. Or it can go through into the urine. And that gives it a yellow colour. It gives it its yellow colour. And that's probably why the plasma is yellow. Correct. Um, so that's... Because of recycled heme. Yeah. I think that's the main part. Now, when you go to um, anemias... Which uh, you think I have. Yeah. You so arrogant that, mortal. So there's a few different... Oh, there's many types. So anemia just basically means a problem with the amount of hemoglobin. So, which usually correlates to a problem with a red blood cell. But I think the most accurate way of knowing anemia, it's just a reduction in hemoglobin. Okay, I think anything kind of under 10 grams per 100 mils is considered potentially anemic. Okay. Now, but usually that's correlated strongly to a, a low amount of red blood cells. Now, with your explanation of how you go from a stem cell in your bone marrow to a normal functioning red blood cell that probably takes about 20 days to go from the marrow to the blood, okay? And like you said, it goes through an immature stage which still has its nucleus in it. So if you have a dysfunction or a deficiency, should I say, of some of those vitamins, what were the two main vitamins? Uh, uh, B12 and folate. Yeah. So particularly these two, if you have a dis, uh, a dis not a dysfunction. Deficiency, deficiency like you said yeah, before. Deficiency. In those two... What will happen is the cell going from an immature state into a mature state has the problem. So it stays bigger. And this is what we call uh, megablastic or mega, a megacyte, megacytic. Yeah. 
um, anemias, which is just basically they're an immature type of red blood cell, so they're not as efficient. They haven't got as much hemoglobin in them. But if you look under a blood smear, the red blood cells would be bigger. Because you're deficient in those two vitamins, you have a problem with the way that you um, convert the DNA or compact the DNA. Okay. So the cell stays big. Ah. And so any kind of anemia, so low hemoglobin with big red blood cells would suggest it's megacytic, large cell, which suggests it's probably, you know, statistically going to be a B12 or a folate issue. Interesting. An example would be pernicious anemia. Yeah. And that would be a problem with intrinsic factor in the stomach. Sometimes people have problems with their stomach or the conversion of B12. And then yeah, sometimes the gastritis over time. Or the absorption in the ileum. So uh, uh, Crohn's disease could have a problem here because that's where you absorb the B12. Now, the other one is a small, the small anemias. So still anemia, but the red blood cells are very small. But it's not mega this time. It's micro, microcytic. Okay. And this classic one would be iron deficiency, deficiency anemia, which is, I think, your one. Um, so you lack enough iron. And as, a, as we said, you need iron, four bits of iron to complete a hemoglobin. So if you're deficient in iron, you can't make as many hemoglobins. So when you complete your red blood cell, there's less hemoglobins to chuck into it. So by default, the cell will just be a smaller cell. So they're microcytic. Okay, okay. Look, I don't think that's exactly what's wrong with me. I don't think there's a problem at all. I just think being immortal is probably a win-win. Um, sure, i got to eat blood all the time, but uh, I think I get enough iron from the blood that I eat. Maybe you just don't absorb it. Maybe you've got an absorption problem. I do have gastritis. It's common uh, for... Reflux. For, for, yes, yes. I think it's quite common for, for vampires. To get reflux? To get reflux. Okay. Gross. Now, the last one is normal acidic anemia. So you've got normal red blood cells, right. but you're sterile anemic. So some good examples of this would be if you've got just bleeding, so you've lost without you without knowing you're just lo- losing blood. Mm. Now, then How finally... How that happen? How do you just bleed without knowing you're losing blood? Oh, well, you could have a bleed in your gastrointestinal tract or you've got internal bleeding. You just uh, don't know that you are losing blood. Yes, true. Um, so with this form of anemia... Um, because the red blood cells is normal, you might struggle to think, well, what's wrong with me? I don't know where, why I've got a low amount of hemoglobin when I've got normal red blood cells. Well, the good way to differentiate this is to take, again, a blood smear. And if it is a problem with um, loss of blood, what is the body's, how do you think the body would try to react to, to um, counter? Increased blood pressure. No, to counter... Loss a of blood. Lo- a low amount of red blood cells. Uh, the kidneys will stimulate the release of erythropoietin, EPO, yep. to produce more red blood cells. Right, that's right. And so you'll be producing more red blood cells. And so how, if you took a person's blood, how would you know if they are bumping up their red blood cell production? Check EPO. Well, you could do that. Or you could just look at the reticulocyte number. And if the ah. reticular, they're the immature ones. If you've got a high reticulocyte number, you are suggesting that they are trying to produce the red blood cells, to counter the problem. Okay. okay. So it's a destruction issue, not a production issue. If you had a production issue, this would be suggesting that you've got a problem with your bone marrow. And so this is where you'd have leukemias, which means that you're losing, through cancer in the bone marrow, you're losing the ability to make red blood cells. Interesting. And so as a, a common side effect of, um, an, of the leukemias would be forms of anemia. Okay. Yeah. 
Wow, that's pretty good. It's pretty good. And I'll just make one final point. For, for some interesting reason, with the leukemias, because they are a cancer-like cell at the stem cell level, they go back to their original form, which is what they were like in the embryo. And so when they're out in the blood, because that's what leukemia is, it's a cancer of blood cells in your blood, they go to a place that they feel safe and that's go back to the safe time of the embryo. Liver, and, spleen? And so they sometimes will hang out in the liver and spleen so that you'll start to get wow. the accumulation of the tumours in those two locations. So that's, that's because it goes back to the embryology days where that's where they were first made. Okay, wow. Wow, 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 wow. All right. Well, you, you, you know, I know I'm a hematologist. I probably should know these things, but I, I find that pretty You're an old hematologist, so you probably forgot a lot. Yeah, yeah. My memory is pretty poor. Um, really quickly, because you, you should do this, because you're the expert in blood um, transfusions. Yeah. Well, I'm Could just an expert in receiving blood, really, but I can talk about blood transfusions. I can do it very quickly. So just do the blood type in. Okay, so very quickly, what you're going to find is that on all your red blood cells, you're going to have a little flag on it called an antigen. And an antigen is a protein, which basically says, I belong to you. Now, with red blood cells, there's many different type of blood antigens, which we call the blood types. The most common that, and those that are most clinically important for transfusions are going to be the ABO antigens. So you've got A antigen. So, a, so, a so you can have a red blood cell with an A flag. You can have a red blood cell with a B flag. Or you can have a red blood cell with no flag, and that's an O. Or both an A and a B. Or you can have a red blood cell that has an A flag and a B flag, and that's AB. Now, I want you to think about it like this. If you're carrying a flag to say, I am this, and you can think about Game of Thrones, for example. If they're waving a flag that says, I am this house, their army isn't trained to attack that flag. Their army is trained to attack every other flag that is not that flag, mm -hmm. right? So if you have a red blood cell that has an A flag on it, your army, which is your antibodies, will not attack that flag. It'll attack every other. So they've got weapons for the B flag. Correct. And these, these are your immune cells, your T and your B cells, right? So if you have an A flag on your red blood cell, your army is trained to attack every other flag and there's only one other flag. That's the B flag. So you can't receive B blood because your army will attack it and destroy it. You'll get sick. So if you have the B flag, your army is trained to attack the A blood. So you can't receive A blood if you are B. If you have both the A flag and the B flag, A -B. your army isn't trained to attack anyone. There's no other flags to, to identify and attack. So you can receive every blood type when That's you are what AB. You Thank you. And if you are O, you have no flag. You're like a Bedouin tribe, right? But your army is trained That's to everything. attack everybody. Your army wants to attack both A flags and B flags. And when you're O blood type, you can't receive any blood but your Except own. Your own. Now, this is where another flag comes in on top called the rhesus factor. So this is the positive part. Yes, rhesus, like the rhesus monkey, because this is where they first identify it. And the rhesus factor is simple. Have this you had is, blood from a rhesus monkey? Um, yes, I have. Um, I, and, I, and do they, are they all positive? Look, I like the, um, no, but I like the rhesus negative blood. It's, 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 it's just a connoisseur sort of thing. You wouldn't understand. So rhesus, if you have this flag, which, has, which is D, right? The rhesus factor is D. If you have that flag, you're positive. So if you have a red blood cell and you have an A flag on it and a D flag, you're A positive. 
If you have a red blood cell, that has an A flag and that's it. You're A negative. If you have an, an, a red blood cell with no flag but only the rhesus factor D flag, you're O positive. If you have no flags on any red blood cells, O negative. Does that make sense? Right. And the only way you think about it, if you're thinking, sitting there going, how do I know who can receive blood from who? You can only receive blood from, from people who have the same flag. So what I mean is this. If you are A, B positive, you have the A flag, the B flag, and the rhesus factor flag. Your army isn't trained to attack anyone. Yep. So you can receive A positive, A negative, B positive, B negative, O positive, O negative, AB positive, AB negative blood. If you are O negative, your army's trained to attack everyone. A, B, and rhesus factor. Now, so if you have the rhesus factor flag, you so can with, receive blood without rhesus factor. But the thing is this, your army doesn't know about rhesus factor until they first come across it. So what that means is you're... While you may be born with an army or antibodies that can attack A or B, depending on your flag, your army doesn't know that rhesus factor exists until it first comes across it. And this is what's important when it comes to pregnancies and births is the rhesus factor. So if you are a mother and you're rhesus negative and you have a child who is rhesus positive. The first one, let's say. The first one. It's usually fine. But, yeah, yeah, but you build antibodies against it. you build it. antibodies against it because often... During birth and stuff. During birth, yes. When the blood blood finally sort of mixes, mixes together. And then the second birth, if it's a, if they are a, um, a positive... Again. Then the yep, maternal exactly. antibodies will potentially cause a problem to the developing fetus. That's right. And so you need to have some immunosuppressive drugs to suppress the rhesus factor from the mother. And that's it. Great. That was quick. Well done, Dr. Kula. Dr. Acula. Acula, sorry. Jeez, it's, it's only been an hour and... Uh, 19 minutes. 19 minutes. You so thanks for coming to, coming today. We really appreciated your input. Oh, that's okay. I know knowledge, you needed it. Your Michael, experience. Michael's a bit of a moron. Rage. Yes, yes, yes. Attractiveness. Tautness. <laughs> yeah. uh, any any final points you'd like to make? Um, just, I think we've covered pretty much everything blood related. Oh, yeah. Just one final point. Don't wear scarves. No need. No need to cover that neck. Keep it bare, keep it open, show it off. Do you prefer positive or negative blood? I just told you, I don't like the rhesus positive. Rhesus negative is the way to go, oh, always. Sorry. Okay. But it, that's just, you know, it's just like saying, what what vintage of wine do you prefer, right? So. Oh, just one final point. Yes. In, in terms of the age, is there any uh, truth to the, the idea or the notion that um, – that you can, if you were to take blood from a younger um, person or uh, organism, that you may ha- it may have some uh, benefit in terms of virulence. Why do you think I drink blood? Why do you think I only drink blood of people? Oh, I, I was actually meaning if you had some peer-reviewed kind of evidence, not just your own. Well, from my experience... Anecdotally, I already knew that young blood is what keeps me young. This is why I look so good right now. Correct, yep. And then the evidence followed. And the evidence shows that if you take the blood from a young mouse and put it into an old mouse, mouse, it limits neurodegeneration. It benefits them in regards to memory and brain function. How do they do this? They take the blood and they put it in. No, they actually sew them together. Yes. Yes, they do actually. So they... 
they actually get the two, two mice. It's not my preferred method. They, <laughs> they kind of make an incision so that they're kind of overlapping. They put the blood vessels, anastomose the blood vessels, and then just sew them up so they're like kind of conjoined twins. Yes. And then and off then they go. Measure the markers and they show so them that's the not the method. There. That's not the method that you go, go by? No, no, no. I just go s- straight to the source. <laughs> okay. So for me, um, yeah, delicious. And keeps me young. Yeah. What do you think? Oh, I still think you got some anemia issues. Okay. So you don't think people should just go and get other people's blood and definitely it? it would be unethical. Okay. Yeah. But thank you for coming in. Like not a I've, I've appreciated it. That's okay. Um, That's okay. Hopefully, well, I'm not sure who's who's worse, really, you or Mike. But hey. I'm sure. I'm sh- <laughs> if it I'm looks sh- like a duck and sounds like a duck, yeah, it's probably a vampire. <laughs> okay. All right, doctor. Um, any final words before this could be your last time on air? Um, uh, stop eating garlic. Uh, don't bother carrying around um, any steaks uh, unless they're ribeyes. Uh, and uh, keep your neck bare and available. Okay. All right, listeners, I'll see. Well, we'll no, I'll because Mike's going to be back next week um, with our next topic. Goodbye. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.